0: Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org, that's dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. I spoke earlier this week with Angelus Arian, who, if you don't know who Angelus Arian is, she has been around for a while, uh, particularly in the Bay Area as a teacher. She's taught at the Institute for Transpersonal Psychology, Uh, California uh, CIIS, California Institute of Integral Studies down in San Francisco. Uh, She's led workshops on the fourfold way, which is, uh, she'll explain that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, She works a lot with creativity and leading an authentic life. And she is a a cultural anthropologist by training and an author of several books, including the Tarot Handbook, um, the Signs of Life, um, the nine muses about all about the archetypes of creativity. And uh, the Fourfold Way, of course, which was her big book back in the early '90s. So, anyway, I'm going to play this interview that I did with her uh, just Tuesday of this week, and it starts out. Uh, we had done this sort of a Skype conversation on the computer, and the first time we had this terrible phone connection, and so the second time that took, we, we it actually worked. So you'll ha- you'll hear a little bit of reference to technical difficulties, but here it is. Here is Angelus Arias. You know, the, the, these technological challenges, I thought I have it all figured out, and then... Oh, really? Well, I admire that you do. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me, did you ever see um, Louisa Tish when she did that wonderful, I think it was almost a one-woman show... Um, yeah, I did. Zora Neale Hurston, and, and the guys doing the wax recordings, the cylinder, <laughs> and she just sort of shakes the little the little, the little, rattle, and then suddenly it all works for him.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing.
0: Well, hello. I'm so glad you are able to speak to me today, and I oh yes, think... and
1: thanks for your radio program and all the uh, wonderful work you do. Oh, it's you're welcome. Great.
0: Yeah, it's really it's been a great project. I've been doing this radio show for about eighteen months. Oh, great. Um, you know, talking about dreams and consciousness and culture all different subjects, you know, starting with sleep health, really, and then going all the way into shamanic dream techniques and so on. Uh And I've been a a longtime fan of your work. And so I would love to ask you questions about how dreams play a part, uh, not only in your work, but in your own journey. And where I know that you work a lot with the archetypes. Yeah, I do, and so I wanted the fourfold way. The yeah. fourfold way, and so i especially since you have um, an intensive, of the five day retreat coming up. I thought maybe we could start. Uh, you could describe some of the work that you're doing in that as an introduction to the fourfold sure. way. Sure. Sure. So what? So this is a five day retreat. This is the fourfold way five day retreat, August seventeenth through twenty first, in Sausalito. And what, what is the focus of that program? It's the fourfold way, uh, walking the paths of the warrior, healer, teacher, and
1: visionary is that um, these are four universal archetypal ways. There's not a culture in the world that doesn't have um, governance or leadership skills. Um, which is really the way of the warrior. Warrior is an old-fashioned term for leadership. So we take a look at uh, all of the leadership qualities from around uh, the world and the old practices of developing leadership uh, and also modern-day best practices. And then uh, there's not a culture in the world that doesn't have a medicine model or a healing alternative model which is the way of the healer so we take a, a look at the eight universals uh, that we have agreement up, upon that constitute a healing and then uh, the way of the teacher uh, there's not a culture in the world that doesn't have an educational model whether it's an apprenticeship model or uh, there's always in some way of transmitting wisdom or skills or or knowledge uh, that is significant in every culture and then uh, the way of the visionary there's not a culture in the world that doesn't um, honor the uh, creative spirit through arts writing uh, dance uh, and creativity and uh, manifesting our visions into the world that have um, meaning and purpose. And so we spend a day on the warrior, a day on the healer, a day on the, the teacher, a day on the visionary, and a day of integrating all of those and seeing how the end result is how we can become more personally and professionally um, uh, more effective uh, in our lives by uh, working with perennial wisdoms as well as best practices in modern-day life.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And do you you work with dreams in any of these contexts? I noticed that uh, you talk a lot about the life dream. That sounds like it's something different than uh, sleep dreams. I do in the
1: way of the visionary is that each of us are called or each of us have um, a calling or a purpose or the life dream and... And often our calling and purpose comes through the night dream and also through our daydreams. You know, we're constantly yeah. creating in our daydreams. And many indigenous cultures of the world say, you know, uh, uh, the dreams that you remember are the dreams that you have a responsibility to. And on an average, people dream at least five dreams a night, but we don't remember them all. And um, And seldom, Uh, but it's important that the dreams that we do remember, because everyone remembers at least uh, uh, four or five of their dreams in a year's time, or if not more, and that um, uh, there's a belief that uh, uh, that's a soul's message and, and calling or purpose that is connected with your life dream.
0: Yes, I, and you know, it never ceases to surprise me how at the onset of a talk or a workshop, people will say, well, I, I don't remember any dreams. And then by the <laughs> end, just by listening to other people's dreams, they have four or five floating to the surface from... Yeah.
1: You a know, little with, contagion effect.
0: <laughs> with all of the stuff that you're describing, the life dream, you know, stuff, especially when they remember childhood dreams, there's all of that information all of that energy stored in their dreams it's really amazing yeah we are so guided yes well your whole career it seems to me has been one of sort of wide range foraging i mean since the tarot handbook and then the fourfold way and then your uh, more recent book on the muses uh, you know, there's this wide range foraging into the symbolism and and cross-cultural myth of the world, and then you have this wonderful ability to synthesize things into, you know, principles and practices. I mean, I think one thing that I would, um, you know, I've just been looking through your books recently and realizing that they're essentially workbooks. That what you're what you're able to create is a guide, a sort of a Sort of a a user's handbook,
2: (laughs)
1: right? Right. I I just feel that it's important to uh, to create something that is sufficient that people can work with uh, and continue to work with, or uh, create their own study groups with and um, with the material. And so um, I just think that uh, what all the books have in common is uh, some kind of of symbols or archetypes or uh, ways to look more deeply within the nature and to see how our outer experiences often um, are catalyzed uh, from the deep interiority, and uh, um, so I just, uh, enjoy giving people as many universal tools and practices and um, because symbols, um, simult- uh, symbols are the bridging language between the internal experience and the external uh, application. And so they simultaneously conceal and reveal. They reveal what we're ready to apply and they conceal what we're still in preparation for.
0: That is absolutely true. Yeah. so do you find that 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 method of writing because you know not all people are content to have the their work as sort of a workbook they would rather have the sort of this is the final word on the subject i am the 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 <laughs> font of all wisdom whereas you're saying here here's the tools have at it gang um is there did that just sort of come about naturally or was that an intention from the beginning for you well, it's uh,
1: when you're working with archetypal materials or, or symbols or or myths. These are universal, perennial wisdoms, and and uh, so uh, basically uh, they're to be shared. You know, they're not. I certainly don't have a ownership on on. Uh, the archetypes in any way.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be called hubris.
1: <laughs> really, so it's it's just wanting to share what I've uh, found that you know I'm uh, a lot of my work as a a cultural anthropologist is really finding the universals or the points of unity or uh, regardless of our cultural condition or our family imprinting, yes. and yes. it's, uh, you know, what, what are the tools and practices uh, and places of reflection
0: that we can connect. And one of the fascinating things about uh, what you do is that you work with corporations with these principles of leadership and introspective and problem-solving and I'm wondering what you see, because that strikes me as a, as a place where uh, people are meeting in a, a, a not in their family system. However, they you know you can create your family system quite easily in your place of work. But it's oh, a, yeah. you know it's a place that is in the west to the Western mind. The workplace is outside of the personal, and but yet there's all these archetypes going on. And I'm wondering what in your work you see as the most. Uh, helpful archetype toward uh, enacting lasting change, you know, institutional, organizational change in the corporate world? Well, I think in the
1: corporate world, all all four archetypes are, are working, especially uh, uh, the leadership archetype, which archetypally is called the way of the warrior. Warrior is an old-fashioned term for leadership. Uh, but also... Uh, The leader combined with, there's so much transmission of knowledge and information at this time, which is the archetype of the teacher. And there's uh, the world needs um, uh, constantly to be redreaming or uh, Mm revisioning, which is uh, the visionary. And when we redream together new possibilities and employ leadership to transmit knowledge that will serve the greater whole, then there's a natural healing that takes place, which is the way of the healer. So um, I find that uh, I work in the corporate, medical, academic, and um, international sectors, uh, and I find that human beings are always wanting to be more personally and professionally effective, and Mm -hmm. and they're really wanting to be um, creative and human beings basically are here to learn about love and to express love but also to create and to make a contribution that each one of us have come to make some kind of contribution Mm -hmm. and uh, we choose you know different paths or different organizational structures or communities in which or within our own families in which to do that.
0: So do you find that to be a, a useful entry point, you know, stressing, let's say you're in the midst of a boardroom with several skeptical people, do you you know, the, that whole notion of wanting to make a contribution, wanting to bring our skills into the world, do you find that's a nice entry point for people to understand your work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I learned how to be a translator, you
1: know, yes. as, as basically is... As, uh, I go in to where people can hear rather than where they might close down because it might seem so unfamiliar, but basically everyone is is really wanting to become more effective to make a contribution and, yes. and also to be a better person. You know, there are lots of successful people but their personhood is it's not likable uh, right? you know they're not nice people
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but there are a lot of successful people who really care about their character development and their personhood and most do most do yes. so um, I'm excited about that so I just plant seeds wherever I can
0: well that's uh, wonderful and how long have you been doing this kind of organizational work Oh, my,
1: as long as I've been teaching. Really? uh, uh, So 35, 40 years.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you teach at the Institute for Transpersonal Psych down in Palo Alto. I uh, do once a year. year. I was Mm -hmm. on their core faculty for 18 years, and the same with
1: um, the California Institute of Integral Studies. Yes. uh, So, um, but right... uh, now is that uh, in both institutions, I really give back once a year Uh uh, in classes there.
0: Yes. Well, that seems like an interesting, you were talking about translating. And one thing that I noticed, I, I uh, did a couple guest lecture things for uh, Jeremy Taylor's class last year at IT. Oh,
1: great! Yeah, he does such great work oh, he's on Dream. In,
0: yeah, I'm a big of fan. And what a
1: great contribution he's made.
0: He's he's wonderful. I'm a huge fan of Jeremy and one thing i really appreciated about being in that group of graduate students in psychology you know there's the clinical and the research and the and the more the depth psychology oriented students is is the range of opportunities to to translate spiritual and psychological language do you find that in your capacity as a teacher you go back and forth between for instance, talking about archetype as deity and talking about archetype as internal uh, reference. Right. I, I think that uh, uh, the
1: symbols, myths, and archetypes are the language of the imagination, and uh, and also uh, the language of uh, uh, the the psychological and the spiritual aspects of
0: human beings. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you don't. So you you pretty much would see there's a, there's um a, there's a congruence there between the internal and the external manifestation of the archetypes. Then I do, and internally, I,
1: you know, it's it's a balance between the sacred and the profane. Is yeah. that you know sometimes people hold things um, deeply spiritually internally and then externally. Apply them in either, uh, through philanthropy or good works. Um, yes, uh, it's just interesting to watch where people are really wanting uh, to apply what has meaning. Whatever has meaning has uh, is something that is held very personally. Yes, and uh, and always. ties in with how people want to make a a meaningful contribution uh, that um, what the Buddhists call uh, is in the realm of royal generosity where you are extending or making that contribution without any expectation of return right beyond personal return it's for the greater whole Mm -hmm.
0: This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, and today we're talking with Angelus Arian, who is a teacher, an educator, author, and public speaker, and uh, you can find out more about the many programs that she uh, leads and facilitates at AngelusArian.com. Angelus, it's so great to have you here today. One of the questions I came up with after looking through the um, The Nine Muses, your book, um, A Mythological Path to Creativity, is um, you talk about the divine feminine, I'm sorry, the feminine principle. And I've been talking with different people over the past few months on my show, and I find that myself personally, I'm a little bit confused about what the feminine principle is. Um, talking to historians who talk uh, you know in with a more historical perspective from it seems to me that that what we conceive of as the feminine principle now has a lot to do with maybe jung and his ideas of the anima but it's yeah, so, it does. but but because our notions of Women and women's capacity in the world are changing. How do you? Where do you? It seems like a moving target. In other words, so where do you get a fix on what the feminine principle is? Well, first of all, the pre, uh, the feminine principle isn't gender tied.
1: Now, uh, within each uh, man and woman, uh, the the feminine principle, as we might uh, know it, isn't. Is a magnetic energy and uh, it's the ability to open and deepen and integrate and synthesize and uh, uh, life's experience and apply it in a different way. Uh, the feminine uh, principle is uh, really tied to um, our uh, whether I'm male or female. Uh, my capacity to open, receive, integrate, and deepen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in oriental terms, it's the yin, In uh, physics, it's magnetic energy. Mm-hmm. Um, among shamanic traditions, it's the moon. Uh, we have a ten- tendency in our culture, uh, uh, which is to genderize, these principles; these are archetypal principles that work us every day: the masculine principle and the deep feminine principle. And that, and I usually resist using masculine and feminine because it takes people into a gender gender issue. Yes. I usually uh, use the uh, the words dynamic energy and magnetic energy because oh, okay. we're all we're we're Every human being works with dynamic and magnetic energies, right. and uh, we're the only culture that has a tendency to genderize uh, these archetypal principles.
0: Right. So when you talk about magnetic energy, that I understand more in terms of uh, presence—a sort of a stillness. There's a uh, internal. An internal call to whatever is, is uh, we are open to receiving. Is that yeah, it is?
1: associated of... with reflection and uh-huh. contemplation. It's associated with uh, magnetizing um, opportunities um, uh, that are more attached to our life purpose and mm-hmm. dream. Uh, it's a place of deep nurturement.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's the uh, place where uh, we open to life's experience and integrate it. And many people don't take time to integrate their experience, and as a result, uh, certain experiences keep repeating themselves because they haven't opened to integrate or reflect or contemplate or um, synthesize uh, uh, the experience. It's interesting that nature's rhythm uh, is medium to slow and uh, uh, many of us are outside of our rhythm and there are two things that we can't do in the fast lane there's a lot we can do in the fast lane we can produce and we can create and so on but there are two things we can never do in the fast lane and that is to deepen our experience or to integrate our experience we have to go back to our natural rhythm, which is nature's rhythm, which is medium to slow. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Boy, that is a trick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so a lot of people are having all these experiences, but you can have lots of experiences in the fast lane, and then at the end of it, just say, oh, well, wasn't that interesting? But there was nothing that was integrated and integration when we say someone has substance or they have depth or they have character all comes from the magnetic energy Mm -hmm. of someone taking time to integrate uh, and to reflect and contemplate uh, um, about why this was meaningful, why was it significant, what is the wisdom that was culled from Mm -hmm. this experience
0: and you also associate the feminine principle, or this I, would, I should say, this magnetic principle with creativity, which was surprising to me because I've, I've often thought of it, and maybe this is, is the sort of the, you know Western mind paradigm showing up, but I've always well, the, thought of it as more of a dynamic do-do do kind of a thing. Yeah you know,
1: Well, the uh, creative, uh, the creative fire is the fire that takes no wood. It starts as an internal spark or flame, uh, which is magnetic. And then when it grows, as our creative fire grows within us, then we want to apply it. But the spark itself uh, is magnetic. It it comes from within. Mm -hmm. And then the actual manifestation into the world requires our, our dynamic energy. Yes. When we bring it into form, when we manifest that spark, uh, uh, the spark itself is the initial conception or the idea uh, of it. And then when, we have, when it actually emerges and unfolds and we apply
0: it, then that's, it joins with the dynamic energy. So, in other words, you can't just sit down in front of your computer for an hour a day and expect to put, br- output something that's really... No. <laughs> that's why, and writers know this very well. Yeah. You know, you can sit in
1: front of the, you know, blank <laughs> screen or the blank paper and, and uh, you know, it's only going to come when it comes. You know, yes. but the idea may come first, you know the seed or the thought may come first, but then there's a developmental process, and then there's the actual action and manifestation. Mm-hmm. It's really when the di- the magnetic always uh, is the place of conception, and the dynamic is the place of execution. mm-hmm. Uh and most of these energies work in tandem uh, but the muses uh, you know are are the sparks of inspiration that lead to dynamic uh, manifestation yes and so that's why it's important to to ask ourselves the question at the end of the day who or what inspired me today because that's the, the magnetic, the, the internal source of inspiration, uh-huh. uh, and we are so um, guided by uh, inspiration and insight and uh, the aha moments. Uh, those are all magnetic moments, and some of those will take, and some won't. There, you know, there are a lot of people who have, uh, you know, lots of. Uh, uh, of visions, but they don't come into manifestation. Yes. And there are lots of people who just manifest without vision, you know, that becomes duty and routine.
0: Yes. What do you say to somebody, What, what, uh, what direction would you point somebody in when they have a lot of ideas and a lot of creative vision, but they hasn't sort of gotten traction in the world. They don't have, they haven't figured out how to actually manifest it.
1: Well, that's somebody who would be uh, blocked on their magnetic energy. You know, they have lots of ideas to the point that they're being flooded rather than uh, needing the dynamic energy to choose.
0: Ah, uh huh.
1: To choose. You know, well, what are the top three ideas here? You know, to begin to
0: choose. Right. Which uh, is really. The
1: power of choice is, is part of the. And following through on our choices or decisions is a, a dynamic energy, but considering the choice is a magnetic process.
0: Uh huh. And isn't it ironic or interesting or paradoxical or something how having to choose it always implies a death of one thing? There's always something to give up when we decide to, where to focus.
1: Yeah, the death rebirth archetype. We, you know, we need to let go so we can make room. Mm-hmm. Death rebirth is a lifelong. They're like, death rebirth archetype is just like two sides of the same coin.
0: Yes. I noticed from your website that one of your new, um, it looks like a new year-long program or or, uh, at least a a long-ish program uh, is Triumph of the Imagination, Journey to the Heart of Creativity and Personal Leadership. Right. So can you tell us something about that work? Uh, It's uh, meeting uncertainty uh, because the
1: ability to hold... uh, ambiguity and certainty is also a magnetic process, right. you know, until something is ready to come into form, and when it's ready to come into form, it's a the dynamic process, you know, any woman who has given birth to a child, that, that is not a, a magnetic process, you know, it's dynamism to right. the nth degree, uh, you can't give birth, and often it's an initiation for uh, the feminine into their own dynamic energy giving birth it is not uh, uh, you know to bring something into form requires dynamism
0: it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> <laughs> no it's not for
1: the faint of heart but anyway the the new uh, program is, is uh, uh, a triumph of the uh, imagination is basically around the uh, uh, four weekends of, of really working with both of those, uh, whatever vision that you really want to manifest is working with vision and manifestation together, which is mm-hmm. how these energies want to work. They don't want to be blocked uh, yes, or tackled by each other or separated from each other. Yes. And that's the danger of when we begin to genderize um, these energies, is that then um, we take them out of their
0: natural context. You know, I have to agree with that. I mean, my experience with uh, the pagan community over many years and sort of the goddess spirituality movement. Has been that there's this there's this reclamation of the feminine, which has been great and yeah. necessary on a lot of different levels. And then there's the there's the the point where people come to the realization, okay, well, this only is going to take me so far because in yeah. order to really embody what I now believe to be true, I actually have to take a step in a more uh, more um, dynamic.
1: Yeah, dynamic. Anything
0: that. Whether I'm male
1: or female, if I'm going to manifest, I have to use the dynamic energy. If I'm going to reflect and contemplate and envision
0: and redream, whether I'm male or female, I have to use the magnetic energy. That's right. And especially if one has a whole um, an analysis of power that says, you know, power with is the best way to go and you know if i have if i'm in a hierarchy therefore that's not good because i have power over people that's you run into problems then when you want to call on your own authority yeah absolutely so it's it's a little trap i've noticed yeah. on the way it's quite a big trap yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's true yeah. it's true <clears throat> well what's really interesting is um that if i'm in the uh, the health, if I'm using the magnetic and, and dynamic and healthy ways, uh, there is no drama, there is no collapse, mm-hmm. there is no victimhood. Yes.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, I noticed looking through the, um, the book on the muses, the nine muses, that uh, you mentioned at the beginning that the muses were born, uh, Zeus was their father. Yeah, And of course, Zeus is a very problematic figure, but incredibly dynamic. Yeah, totally dynamic.
1: <laughs> yeah. And seen, uh, the mother of the Muses, and she was balanced in both. Mm-hmm. And that's why she insisted that the nine daughters or the nine Muses half half of the year they would live in nature and have uh, for the reflective arts and half of the year they would live in uh, Olympus for all of the logos and the uh, development of the dynamic
0: right right i think i think that's a, that's a really important little detail that you know there is no uh, i guess there's ni- neither the the dynamic nor the magnetic are are pure and complete in themselves they you know, it's almost like they need the other to to function. Yeah, which is in alchemy uh, is known as uh,
1: the sacred marriage or yes. the hierogamous Right, right. Yeah, uh, they they aren't complete by themselves. Yes.
0: So that seems like an interesting uh, way into to. to to talking with people who have that I was you know bringing up the the example of somebody who has a lot of creative energy and, and great ideas but no real traction in the world you know to That's right to, to bring them
1: work with their dynamism
0: Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: to do. And vice versa that <clears throat> someone who's very dynamic uh, uh, but has a hard time relationally has um uh, uh, has work to do on the magnetic.
0: Yes, right. The the listening piece. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that fascinates me about dreams, um, and this this is kind of a jump from the archetypes, but it it makes perfect sense in my mind anyway. Yeah, because it, it's the home of where it all emerges. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's amazing how those ancient ancient archetypes are always popping up. Mercury is always popping up. The trickster is always there in dreams. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hades, the, the whole gang is always there. Yeah. But I think for me, noticing, uh, what I'm noticing lately in people's dreams is that um, there's a real, you know, we still, we are the children of psychology. So we look at our dreams and our first worry is that there that means that there's something wrong with us. Know, something is out of balance what do we need to fix you know are these my mother mm-hmm. issues or my father issues coming up where and so but whereas when we actually open up the dream and find the archetypes and sort of go to it at a little bit deeper from a little deeper perspective it it shifts things all around it becomes more of a of a passion play or a sacred drama yeah it's more tied with
1: me like the term sacred drama or uh, spiritual unfoldment or mm-hmm. spiritual emergence
0: uh, in some way. Yeah. So, so the work that you do, your workshops and retreats, seems to me uh, a, basically the same process of taking our entire life, our life, looking at our life situation as though it were a dream. And yeah. say, okay. Well, where do the forces at work here? What are the stories that are that are activated right now? Is that something right. that you that you go to? Yes, I do. And then
1: also, I'm, I'm really have people look at their past as a road of initiation rather mm. than a road of woundology, ol- mm-hmm. and that where where has the dream? Where is the dream taking them from present forward? Yeah. Because if we really called the wisdom of our past, we were given everything that we needed to strengthen us, to soften us, to open us and deepen us. And many traditional peoples of the world see the past as a road of initiation. Uh, They would never think of it as a road of ludology. It would indicate, you know, I didn't meet my initiations.
0: Right. Woundology. That's really <laughs>
1: yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, and so it, it's it's how to look at our life journey as um, a great dream unfolding. Yes. But uh, also, what is that? How is that dream informing our character and personhood? Yes. There's one... From a non-pathological point of view, you know, I've, I really, um, um, uh, you know, uh, agree in the uh, that our psycho mythology is much stronger than our psychopathology. That uh, uh-huh. you know, our psycho mythology is our psyche, which is logos and eros, our wisdom and love nature, and mythos is our life dream our life calling, our life purpose, our life contribution and so logos and arrows and our missiles or our life dream is much stronger than any psychopathology that we're working with.
0: I think that's an you know an excellent point to keep coming back to and it's you know, all of our powers of intellect are, are just sort of battening down that door, batter trying to batter it down every day, really we're, you know, because living in such a a, a maelstrom of, of fragmentary information. Yeah, and I think it's,
1: it's all, uh, it's, it's very interesting uh, uh, that many of, at the World Indigenous Council, they, um, seven years ago, they were looking at the uh, prophecies uh, from different traditions for our time, and Seen if there was one phrase that may have come up that uh, is in relationship uh, to um, um, that there is agreement and the phrase that came up was when the wisdoms of the sky merge with the wisdoms of the earth and are braided through the human heart mm-hmm. then we will have a rainbow people so The wisdoms of the sky at this time are fiber optics, internet, computers, um, lasers, etc. They are not to be sacrificed, but merged with the wisdoms of the earth, which is Mm -hmm. all our issues uh, surrounding ecology and and also tending to the earth wisdoms of the indigenous peoples or land-based peoples of the world know about the wisdoms of the earth and how to take care of the earth and that those wisdoms aren't sacrificed for the wisdoms of the sky either Uh and that both are braided through the human heart that uh, the heart is really the doorway of of synthesizing uh, the father sky wisdom and the mother earth wisdom and uh, not sacrificing one for the other and that when we do braid them through the human heart uh, instead of sacrificing one for the other then we will have a rainbow people then we will be able to work with diversity uh, and
0: see each other as a rainbow rather yes. than that separate. well that's a beautiful image
1: yeah it's a great image yes. for our time
0: yes great well and you know exactly for our time and it doesn't It seems like it's not fragmented. (laughs) It's not fragmented, and you can read it as prophecy, as a prophetic thing. But it feels to me more like something that is either true or not true in any moment, any given moment. We can choose to braid the two influences or not.
1: Yeah, it's true, and the choice seems to be ours. Um, Yes, and especially collectively at this time.
0: Yes. Yes. So that brings me to a, um, my last sort of uh, question, or I guess cluster of questions for you, is, is you, you work a lot with the collective, and uh, you have you know this great body of work that you help people integrate and synthesize what's going on for them and encourage them to have more of a um, psycho mythology rather than a psychopathology around what's happening in their lives what themes do you see and, and maybe this is a little too broad look you know looking say at the united states as a whole it seems like there's a lot of a lot of um, central stories that are sort of lit up in neon in the collective psyche what do you see those as at this moment and and where where is your sense of the way in to shift those? Well, I think the, um, I, I think there is an um,
1: there's an emerging um, uh, old myth that's found in every culture that's uh, reemerging in our time right now. Every culture has salvation myths, and every culture has doomsday uh, doomsday mm. myths. And I think, um, so I began taking a look at, well, if every culture has salvation myths and doomsday myths, there also must be bridging myths uh, Mm -hmm. from salvation to doomsday. And we have a whole body of myths that we've been overlooking, which are called creation myths, you know, Uh of how we can create new worlds or how we can um, uh, manifest Uh, new visions and that can create new worlds and in this whole body of myths there's not a culture in the world that doesn't have a creation myth of how the world began and the gods and the goddesses and all of that and so um, we've talked about in history we talk about these times of recreation and Renaissance times uh, we're in another renaissance time, but <clears throat> one of the myths that has been a creation myth that has been really interesting that I see is really timely for our time is uh, the Pandora myth, uh, oh, okay. which is universal, but it's not uh, always a woman. It's, it could be a man, Pandora, yeah. or and sometimes it's not even a man or a woman, it's a creature. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But the story is that you know um, the gods and the goddesses got bored and decided uh, that they really uh, needed to create uh, a creature that could bridge both heaven and earth. Uh, the gods and the goddesses could really bridge that domain and also the mortal do- domain. So they
2: in the Greek version,
1: and, and the versions are all the same cross-culturally, they just have different gods and goddesses and different mm-hmm. uh, creatures. But basically, uh, and so they fashioned, uh, I'll, just, I'll just tell the Western View sure. one, but they just fashioned uh, uh, Pandora, and uh, Venus gave her love, and Zeus gave her leadership, and... Um, Mercury gave her the gift of communication and they were really gave her their very best gifts uh, in order to uh, walk on the earth and then they said well how is she going to remember where she came from and uh, so uh, they also gave her the gift of inspiration and the gift of memory and then they said well you know uh, we should also give, give a test of, of loyalty and so um, um, they gave her a vase In other traditions as a box and mm-hmm. other traditions as a, um, a small container of some kind and the creature or the man or the woman is told not to open it and uh, yet uh, the gods and goddesses have given her great curiosity from all of their gifts great curiosity and so she wrestles with herself for some time and and she finally does the taboo she opens the box or she reaches into the vase and uh or the container and out come all the evils and the ills into the world and in this myth always something is left at the bottom of the jar or the vase or the containers or the box. And in Western societies, what is left at the bottom of the jar is hope. Mm -hmm. In Eastern societies, what is left at the bottom of the jar is compassion. In Indigenous societies, what is left at the bottom of the jar is truth. And so maybe these are the three golden keys that are important to us as we face both the evils in the world and the gifts and talents in the world that we stay connected with hope,
0: compassion, and truth. Well, may it be so. May it be so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And and thanks so much for your good work. this is such an important uh, program that you have, and well, reminding you. people of their um, deep wisdom and interiority through
0: dreams and, and symbols and, and myths. Uh, you make it very effortless. Well, thank you. Angelus Arian, it has been a pleasure talking with you. this Yeah, hour. thank you. And there you have it. That was my interview this week with Angelus Arian. She is a brilliant woman, author of several books, and she is uh, down in Sausalito. If you would like to check out Angelus' workshops, she has... uh, Residential retreats. I think there's one coming up in Arizona. She does year-long trainings. She does a lot of work uh, in the corporate setting with all sorts of people in different uh, fields. And her website is Angelus Arian, A N G E L E S A R R I E N, AngelusArian.com. That ends this week's Dream Talk Radio Show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Anne Hill, and I'll see you again next week.